0: On today's show, our guest is Madeline Cohen. Madeline's journey into business began in the early 1990s when she was just 20 years old and dived headfirst into the world of marketing. Over the years, she's developed many skills, had many businesses, but her passion is for sharing the most innovative, conscious communication strategies available. She helps people have that light bulb moment when it comes to leadership, communications, marketing, and business success. Madeline is an author, a keynote speaker, and a sales and communication expert, and she's worked with all sorts of business leaders from government, nonprofits, and the private sector, helping them to feel more confident in their abilities as leaders, whilst operating at a much higher frequency to advance their careers. If you've ever felt stuck and left wondering about how to get ahead in your career, then listen in as Madeline shares her 25 years of business and mentoring experience. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Madeline Cohen. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Madeline. Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. It's great to have you here, mate.
1: Yeah, it's great to be here, Robert. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really excited about sharing some um, interesting content with you today and digging into some good questions. So, All
0: right. I can't wait to go all the way down that rabbit hole with you as well. But before we do any of that, I'd like to start off all of my shows with a quick little get to know you quiz. It helps kind of warm us up, calms and nerves us a little bit. And if anybody listening at home um, is listening to you, then maybe they'll learn something about you that they don't already know. It's in no particular order. It's pretty random. You ready? Yes I am. All right just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. What's more important, sales or marketing? Marketing. Ah, oh, dividing the audience right from the get-go. Do you have a business mentor at the moment? Yes I do. Nice. Do you prefer coaching or mentoring people yourself?
1: Mentoring.
0: Serious one, meditation or contemplation? Both. Both. You sitting with Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Nice. Is there a preference?
1: Mm, contemplation is probably where I fill the gaps, but meditation is also really important to me.
0: Very nice, very nice. Do you prefer the beach or the bush? Beach. What was your first car?
1: A Fiat Regatta with no brakes.
0: <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked anybody that question and they've said, "Oh, it's just like you know a regular Holden Commodore or something like that." It's always some sort of bomb.
1: <laughs> it was such a bomb.
0: I <laughs> didn't have any brakes? <laughs>
1: I don't know, but many years later, my sister and I were on a hill somewhere in Sydney and we saw this car come up behind us and we were looking at it and we were going, gee, that looks really familiar, that car. And then we looked at the number plate and we realized that it was the car. And because we were about to go down a hill, we decided to pull over and let it go in (laughs) front of us because we were like we were quite concerned that it quite possibly still had really bad (laughs) brakes. It
0: wasn't the big hill at Balmoral, was it?
1: No, it was another nice large hill. I think it might have been like New South Head Road or something like that. <laughs> you know, heartbreak Heartbreak hill from the city to surf, that one. Yeah.
0: Cool, cool. All right, if you had, uh, last question, if you had 10 minutes that you could go back in time and visit anybody in history, you only got 10 minutes, who are you going to visit and what are you going to say?
1: Mm, I'm going to visit my grandmother. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm going to visit my grandmother and I'm going to ask her to share more of who she was.
0: I always think that it'd be really interesting to see them as younger people, like in their in their late teens, early 20s, just as they've come out of school, they're starting their career, beginning their life. I'm always curious about where it all came from and where it all started.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling with my grandmother that had she been given the opportunities or given herself the opportunities to live more expansively, that her life would have been very different. So there's sort of more the questions that I would ask her.
0: Nice, nice. That'd be interesting to see. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Well, Madeline, people, come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, could you please share with us your biggest go all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success?
1: Okay, so I think my biggest go all in story is really probably about the creation of my children rather than it being a business thing. Although what I do is I I work a lot in business, but I also work a lot in metaphor. But I'm the mother of two children. And when my husband and I decided that we wanted to start a family, we found out very quickly within a couple of months that we were not going to be able to have children at all. And um, the reason for that is, is because he discovered that for some reason he was entirely infertile, like entirely nothing. And so this came as a massive shock to us. And over the next Five years between when we found out that this was the case and the time that my son was born, I really had to go on a journey where I had to put two things into perspective. One was trust of a medical system. And for somebody who had all expectations of, you know, bringing children into the world being a very natural process, that was my first experience of really having to surrender to that, having to, you know, undergo a lot of drug therapy as I did because I went through IVF, but we also had a donor we discovered through the process that I had my own um, fertility issues at the same time so I went through that entire process and, and what I learned from it was that putting everything out externally was actually not going to be the answer it was actually just going to create more drama in my life and so what I did was I became quite resourceful within myself in the process of what I was going through in making sure that I had the right medical doctors in You know, finding a spiritual base for myself that was putting the answers out to the universe for the universe to come back to me and tell me what it was that was my journey into parenthood that made me create different parallels of what it meant to be a parent that made me spend time with other people's children and actually find joy in that rather than finding pain in that that actually helped me to reverse engineer things at a very, very acute level, but also at a level that was very much trapped in my heart. Because it was such an emotional journey. And in fact, during that time, I fell pregnant with my first child and I lost my first child on the very day of 9 11. And I, I ended up in hospital, miscarriaging at about 18 weeks of pregnancy. It um, was probably even closer to 19 weeks. And, and that was a harrowing experience. But through all of it, I learned resilience, I learned love, I learned how to go within, I learned how to be resourceful. I learned that everybody else's story was not my story. And in that process, I've ended up creating two absolutely magnificent children who I adore. But when I look at them, I look at the gift that they gave me as a mother before they even came into the world. So that was probably my first experience of going all in. And I think I've paralleled that in various business experiences. But the bringing the children into the world was actually the experience that really set it all off and made me realize how resourceful I could be.
0: Well, that's a, a very deeply personal story and and thank you for trusting in us and sharing that with us um I, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in there from the heartache that you suffered in there how, how long was it just a couple of months before you realized that you couldn't have kids
1: yeah you know we've, we're so impatient we're so impatient you know you decide that you're going to have a family and three months later you're not pregnant so everybody goes off and has their tests you know mm-hmm. as we did and you know I'll never forget the day because you know, I was involved in the Sydney Olympic Games at the time and and it was quite close to the beginning of the Olympic Games and you know my husband was going through some difficult times and um, he was very busy and I wasn't around a lot and I get this phone call just as I'm about to walk into a media conference And he, he rings me and he tells me the news that he's, he's had this test and he's, he's found out that he's completely infertile. And you know, it was like there, it was like someone had died in that moment. And so then we looked at becoming resourceful. But the first thing we look at when we become resourceful is that we go out, you know, and we forget about going within. And, and so that was my first lesson. The whole time, the whole experience, it was, you know, three months before we realized that we couldn't have children but it was another five years until we actually brought the first child into the world.
0: So what happened after he said that to you and you describe it like it's as if somebody died because it feels like the chance has been taken away from you completely. Did it take you a while to get over that? Did it take you another six months to get back into the groove and start using those resources that you'd been looking for yourself?
1: No, look, I think that what we did was we did, you know, we we got into the immediacy of the situation very, very quickly you know, we spoke to a doctor, he said, let's do a testicular biopsy, let's see what's going on there. They ran that test, you know, it was obviously very painful and, and quite an ordinary experience. We had a glimmer of hope. Then, you know, we were immediately put onto to IVF treatment in the hope that they might find something and, you know, be able to do, to work their magic. That whole process went on for a while until, you know, maybe nine or 10 months later when we got the news that no, there was absolutely not a chance that we would have a biological child. And so we really just got into the process. And I think that what does happen with people in life, whether it be in business or in personal situations, is that we go one of two ways. We either go straight into the drama of it and we get very kind of shocked and we just sit in the drama of it and we procrastinate with it, or we go the opposite, which is we become quite resourceful, but we just keep going and going and going because we don't want to actually deal with perhaps the emotional pain of what we're going through at the same time. So we just think if we keep taking one step in front of the next, you know, that we will then keep moving forward to to achieve what we want to achieve. It's actually a bit of a combination that's required, but what isn't required is the drama. So the whole process did take many, many years, and I had to reframe what it meant to be a mother, what it meant to have a family, and create very different outcomes for that in the process.
0: And it must have been a, another, a really hard blow to take then when you found out that you had some issues as well with fertility.
1: Well, absolutely. And the thing was, I knew that I had issues in the background, but you know, throughout my childhood, you know, I, I was basically just told that I had a low pain threshold and I should just, you know, toughen up a little bit. But you know, I, there's a lot of talk about it today, but I actually suffered from endometriosis from the age of 12. Right. But it wasn't until I started to undergo fertility treatment to have children that I realized the extent of it. And so, you know, that struggling through that whole process of endometriosis, you know, in the end, now I've actually had 21 general anesthetics in my yes. life.
0: So many.
1: All relate to gynecological problems. All of those general anesthetics are related to gynecological problems.
0: And so what, what happens now when you, when you think back on uh, you've got your kids, you've got your beautiful kids and everything, you come out on the other side of it, you know, it's a happy, it's a happy ending to the story, but it wasn't a happy process by any stretch of the imagination. Tell me about the, the resilience that's built for you and, and the lessons that you've learned in and around
1: that. So I think the most important thing was to find joy in thinking laterally through the process. So what I was very determined to do is to look at all of the reverse engineering and the lateral thinking opportunities that I had within the process to create moments of joy. So, you know, when my sister had children, for instance, I would spend a lot of time with those children and I would get very connected to, you know, hugging them, caring for them, being in their presence and really enjoying that experience of them. Mm -hmm. Rather than looking at avoiding, I actually immersed myself in experiencing and finding joy in experiencing. So... It was very painful. I looked at it in other terms as well. My husband and I travelled extensively. We went on the most amazing holidays. We deliberately chose hotels where children were not welcome, not because we didn't want to be around children, but because we believed that in the future we would have children and we wouldn't be able to experience those amazing hotels. (laughs) We immersed ourselves in a lot of education and we attended a lot of conferences. You know, We travelled the world doing the Tony Robbins seminars. We looked at how we could um, contribute to other people and we did contribute to other people in that process who were having similar experiences to us and we showed them courage and resilience as well so I really looked at it as how can I create what I want not what I don't want Mm -hmm. what I didn't want was to go down a rabbit hole of pain and suffering although yes I did have to experience that as part of the process but what I did want was to see the gift in strange wrapping, see the things that I could enjoy in life and really immerse myself in that because that's really what life's about and we don't know what's going to happen to us tomorrow.
0: I think it's what you describe very beautifully there is is the balance of emotions that you need as a person. And for for me personally, I've never experienced what you've gone through. Um, Recently, I've been doing a lot of reading in and around military history And some of the really bad things that have happened in in the world, in wars and atrocities and all those sorts of things. And, you know, I I feel like I have to read those things so we don't make the mistakes of the past. And as an ex-military guy, it's kind of relevant and it's interesting to me as well. But you can get caught up in the really negative side of it. And it doesn't matter if you're reading military history or you're having a negative experience in your life. I think if you go all in the wrong way, you get end up drawn into that really bad part of your life and that bad part of your emotions and I think it's important to come back to the middle and then realize that there is joy and there is beauty and there is wonderful things in the world and you describe that beautifully you know with your sister's kids and building a relationship with them and then building a life with your husband traveling the world and doing all those wonderful things but you know you have still got that happening in the background that hasn't gone away it's still there but you've got a balance in in what's happening there right?
1: Absolutely and I think that's really key and the thing with that was that you know it also created other situations that I could see things differently like I think that you know through media we find drama to be very salacious <laughs> you know we're always looking for the next story of something that is actually dramatic and you know and and I love the I love the story that or that you know the system that Stephen Cartman created in the 1960s around drama when he was dealing with the model for Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So what he came up with was he said, okay, in order for drama to be there, you've got to have a persecutor, you've got to have a victim, and you've got to have a rescuer, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so so these are the dysfunctional elements that we create within drama. And literally, you can read the newspaper or you could read military history and you could see that all three of those roles are always being played. Totally. And we've become really addicted to it. And so in our lives, we actually manifest it. It's like we look for it and we create it and we manifest this drama because that is, you know, either what makes us feel significant or brings us to the attention of other people so that they will want to help us or, you know, makes us feel resourceful and powerful because we're out there rescuing. And the truth is, is that staying in that drama perpetuates it. We change roles. We become the victim and then we become the rescuer, you know, and then we become the, the perpetrator and the person that's inflicting whatever on, on somebody else. The only way Stephen Cartman worked out that you could get out of this was, first of all, to become the observer, to actually stand outside and watch it like you're watching a movie, and then to become the creator of what you want instead. Mm-hmm. And so what I realised through this whole drama is, is that misery will find misery. And if you go out there and you find people who want to share miserable stories with you that reflect your own miserable stories, you can lift the ante on that (laughs) really high, really quickly.
0: You can. That's very true.
1: But if instead you look at, hey, what do I want to actually achieve here? And generally, it's not a material thing. It's actually a feeling. Mm -hmm. So we want to feel safe. We want to feel happy. We want to feel loved. We want to feel understood. We want to feel appreciated. These are all the things that humans want to feel. And yet we think that we have to get it from drama.
0: And so for you not being able to have kids, did that feel like that was drama in your life and you just eliminated the drama and were pragmatic about it to find the solution?
1: You know what? In the beginning, I did not eliminate the drama. I was actually fully immersed in the drama and that, you know, and I understand the human nature of that. Like that's really normal. And I think the fact that I was so immersed in it as well, you know, when I am helping other people, whether it be with drama in their business or drama in their relationships or their life or their health or what have you, I see it because I feel it. I know I've been there too. And yet I know that on the other side of it, if you do have the courage to be able to, you know, put the elephant in the room, have the conscious conversations, actually look at it from a different angle, that you can get the feeling of what it is that you want instead. So I am no different to anybody else with this. I just decided, I think, or attracted, I think, quite an immense scenario in my life in order for me to have this experience to come out on the other side of it and go, Hey, you know what? I could take that on. So, so, so think- what,
0: what happened on the other side? You had, you were, you fell pregnant, then you lost that baby and then you yeah. fell pregnant again. And then you had your son. Is that a that order of events? I
1: did. Yeah, absolutely. And then the reality of parenthood, I don't know if you're a parent. Are you a parent? I am. <laughs> the reality of parenthood is same, same, okay? So here I was, I had my entirely organized life, my career, you know, business, everything sorted, and the child was going to fit into all of that. Well, yes, really. As Good luck yet. with that. <laughs> absolutely. So the reality of having this much-loved child, absolutely adored child, was the same scenario that every parent goes through, which is, it's really not easy, particularly in the early times, you suffer from sleep deprivation. You know, there was something in me that caused me the night before I gave birth to my first child to uh, sign a half a million dollar consulting contract (laughs) that was in a completely different state. I then had to become really resourceful with that, yeah. and you know, from, from when he was six weeks old, I was literally getting on a plane to Melbourne from Sydney every Wednesday, and in order to eliminate the drama of that, I used to pretend that it was my bus to work.
0: I was gonna say, talk about drama, you're introducing at times of a magnitude of 20 there.
1: <laughs> I did. And I made it work. And so and that, that was really interesting because that was a time in my business life and that was sort of, you know, in the mid, yeah you know, around 2004, 2005 that was. That actually taught me something really phenomenal in business. It actually taught me the power of having people who were way better and way more skilled than me in my business doing the work.
0: Yeah, fantastic. That's the way to, that's the way to do it is just drive and lead from the front and outsource all of those other things that you shouldn't be doing. And I love the idea of business, but I don't really like the idea of working inside a business. That's, that's just like hard work and sometimes like having a job as well. So you've got to really work out how to disseminate the differences between working in it and on it, right?
1: Absolutely. So my experience after the children were born was, you know, it's like, you know, before enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. After enlightenment, chopping wood, carrying water. (laughs) It was exactly the same scenario. And I assure you, I went through every single um, experience, although there was one experience that that was really, really interesting and it's actually quite a funny story. So I went to like the community nurse, right, and she said to me, okay, well, we really need to get you into a mother's group. I'm like, oh, this is going to be really interesting. So, (laughs) you know, I go along to the community nurse mother's group, right, and I actually write about this in one of my books because it was such a funny story. And I'm sitting there and these mothers are talking about how long it takes them to get their kids to go to sleep. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm in exactly the same scenario. And they're talking about having to pat their kids' bottoms so the kids go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And I'm working it out and I'm like, okay, so you've got 365 days a year, an hour of patting every night. What if you've got two kids, that's two hours of patting every night? <laughs> I actually kind of worked out that it was something like, four entire work weeks of patting a child to go to sleep.
0: God, you're obsessing over it. Don't obsess, just go with the flow.
1: So anyway, I decided I was going to resource my child in terms of helping him to to sleep better. And so I got some help with that. I actually had someone who was really gentle and beautiful teach me how to settle my child and he became he actually got into it really quite quickly. Uh, it probably only took me another three to four weeks before I was comfortable to put him in his cot while he was still awake and he would just gently like, you know, sing to himself and fall asleep. And so he got into that habit and then I didn't have to pat him to sleep. But that wasn't the most important part of it. What it made me realise was that there were a lot of other areas in my life where I was spending time doing things that I could outsource. Yeah. And I did that. I outsourced things. I created a great community around me of local small businesses and I said, hey, look, I'm in the scenario where I've got this new child but i'm also working and i and i'd really love to support your business and i only want to buy from you so the green grocer i only want to buy from you the dry cleaner the butcher the fish shop and i said i I just want to collaborate i'm going to ring you or email you tell you what i need and I, i just need it delivered to my home and i saved hours and hours and hours a week with different scenarios like this where i was creating community supporting small business and really, you know, leaning back on getting the help that I needed from other people. And, and so that was a, w- a wonderful experience as well. A really good tip for a lot of people that think they don't have enough time. You actually have plenty of time. You just need to know how to use it properly.
0: So, so what about all of the desire and the want to have children? You finally had your son and then soon after you had your daughter as well, right?
1: I had my daughter three and a half years later. Mm-hmm. So, That's so close again. Yeah, it is, except that I started trying for that baby, you know, we always use the word trying for that baby, within the first year of my son being born, because I wanted to have them quite close in age, and also because I was getting a bit older, And, and it took me another couple of years, and as many more IVF cycles as it took my son. I got to the last cycle, and the doctor said to me, hey, we really can't do this for you anymore, it's just too much, and... And we, we really don't think it's healthy anymore for you to go through this. So this will be the last go. And that was the go that, that brought my daughter into the world. So it worked, yeah, pretty amazing. And and you know what? I love her and I adore her. I was probably not well ready to give up at that point. And I'm just so blessed that she came at that point because I didn't have to go back and I don't like negotiating. I like to resonate. I didn't have to go back and resonate with the doctor a little bit more on. Hey, let's just do this one more time.
0: <laughs> and, and once once she came along, what about the desire for more children? Has that kind of subsided? You've you've come to terms with that. Two two's enough.
1: I was absolutely delighted. It is a miracle, an absolute miracle that I have two children. Like a phenomenal miracle. I, I I couldn't have hoped for anything more. And, you know, there, there are other four-legged members of the family, which I'm more than happy to extend more four-legged members of the family should I have the desire for more children. Hmm. And they're reasonably independent because at some stage they can be left at home on their own.
0: Well, you know, I've spoken to a lot of really interesting people on this show about going all in on stuff. And what you're describing is a long, long journey. And I've spoken to some other guys, you know, I spoke to one guy, his name was Scott and he he wanted to be a fighter pilot from the age of like four, the first time he saw a jet. And by the time he was 20, he'd become a fighter pilot. You know, It was like a, a 16 year go all in journey. That's all he ever wanted to do. That's all he concentrated on, all he worked towards. And it same, sounds like the same thing for you where all you wanted to do and all of your focus and attention is on solving that problem and achieving that goal. And now that you've achieved it and you've come on to the other side of it, has your, tell me about your business and your life. Has it blossomed into something that you never thought possible or is it where you want it to be? Yeah,
1: look, businesses, I mean, I love my business and I'm, I'm, I am very blessed with the fact that I have been in business now for 27 years. Okay. So I started business at a very young age and, you know, I've always felt very resourceful as a business person. What I love about being in business is making an impact. And the fact that I get to spend all of my time working toward making an impact and helping other people to think differently and to make an impact, I've been really, really fortunate to create the life that I've created. And it's been a hard journey. You know, there, there have been times where it hasn't been easy. You know, there have been times where I've really had to step up and, you know, had to deal with some difficult times in business as well. And I think that that is normal for any business to go through. And it's just a matter of being able to put yourself into the observer position and then create what you want instead. So I've evolved in business over the years. My businesses are designed to make a contribution. One of my businesses is in, is in the healthcare sector. Mm-hmm. Um, I own a chiropractic in Sydney. I have six chiropractors who work for me in that practice. I'm not a chiropractor, although when they take me off to events to talk chiropractic, I often have many people say, I'd like to come and see you. At which point I have to say to them, that just won't be possible because <laughs> I've never studied chiropractic. In fact, I don't even have a university degree, so let's not even go there.
0: Well, that's um, a really unusual business model. Let me stop you there and jump in because it's, it's normally a business like that where the owner of the business is the qualified person and then they have worked for somebody and they want to go out their own and bring it to life. What was it that kind of nudged you in the direction of a chiropractic business? It kind of seems a little abstract.
1: Yeah, so when I met my partner, he's a chiropractor working as a one-man band above a butcher shop. And I said to him, look, you know, I think it would be terrific if you could leverage this business and create a brand. And so I helped him to do that and then I helped him to bring in some associates into the business. And through that process, I decided that what was really lacking in healthcare was the understanding that a doctor has when communicating with a patient. So it's just really about conscious communication. You know, so many people fall through the gaps when it comes to health. I'm not talking about crisis when it comes to health because they're not being guided properly as to what real health is. And without our health, we actually have nothing. And so I really started to emphasize that and attract people and practitioners who wanted to learn that model. And that was how the business was created. And then in the end, I bought my partner out and owned the business entirely on my own. And really it's been about making an impact on teaching and showing the practitioners how to communicate more effectively with their patients and then also having the evidence of that in a successful practice to be able to offer that out to other businesses. And so I like the medical model because impacting people's health I think creates a bigger difference because if someone is is looking after their health and is healthier today. They go home to their partner and their family are in in a healthier state and that has an impact on them. They then go into the workplace in a healthier state and that has an impact on their workplace. They then talk to their clients and their customers in a healthier state and that also has an impact. They then refrain from road rage on the way home because they're actually in a healthy state and that (laughs) has an even bigger impact. So I like to do things that create an impact. And for me, it's also about mentorship now for me a mentor is someone who has walked the steps that they are working with people to walk so i cannot walk the steps on conscious communication unless i have walked the steps in what i think is probably one of the hardest areas to consciously communicate and that is to get people to lift their own standards related to their own well-being
0: well how do you how do you help people identify uh the problem slash opportunity that's there is that through conscious communication can you can you go into a little bit more on that when i was researching you before this interview i saw those two words together a lot i like the sound of that it kind of it is self-explanatory can you kind of extrapolate that a little bit and, and give it some context in around problems and opportunities for me
1: okay so what i really find with conscious communication is is that when we change the language that we use within our own heads within our own self-talk of which we all have a lot and how we represent ourselves to the world, we get a different answer, Mm -hmm. okay? So if you're always coming from the position of something being a problem rather than it being an opportunity or it being a problem but not being a quality problem, you really narrow your thinking. So when we learn how to communicate consciously, the first thing we do is we expand. Okay, because I'll never forget when I was um, buying a home a few years ago and, you know, I was really stretching myself. I was super excited and I was really stretching myself on this particular transaction and investment. And the accountant came back to me one day and he goes, you know what, there's this, this and this and I don't think it can be done. And so I acknowledged him and I said, you know, I I think that's awesome. Like, thank you so much for sharing that. I love the fact that you've come to me with this. At the same time, I happened to have been over in America not even in Australia, so it was like getting messy. I had a power of attorney about to sign documents for me. Mm -hmm. I said, I know it can't be done, and if it could be done, what would it look like, and can I call you back in an hour on that? He goes, okay, so if it could be done, what would it look like? So he rings me back an hour later and he goes, well, it could be done if we do this, this, and this. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. That's exactly what we're going to do. And a couple of hours later it was done. Yes. So that's what conscious communication is. That's a living example of conscious communication It's ask a better question. It's yeah, not, very- oh, what are my limitations here? It's like, whoa, if I could take this to the next level, what would it look like? You know, I just got off a, a mentoring call with one of my clients today who has, you know, been very successful in working in Australia. And I said, you know what, It's it's time to ask some quality questions in relation to working more globally within this scenario. And I said, I just want you to put it out there. I don't even want you to do anything with it, just put it out there. What would this look like if I could expand this and take it to the next level? And every time you get a limiting belief on that, just say, thank you very much and what would it look like if I could expand this and take this to the next level? So I've just had a, a mentoring call with her this morning and she's come back to me and she goes, you'll never believe what's happened. And I'm like, I probably will, but share anyway because <laughs> I'm excited because I get so excited. And she said, I got a call from the other side of the world and they've asked me to go over there and, <laughs> and, and show them what I've been doing here. And she goes, it was like someone through someone through someone is how they got to me and that just happened on Thursday. Love it. And so we've got to put our little receptor beacons out there because we all have them. You know, we all know what it's like to walk into a room and you can cut the air with a knife, you know. That's just how you feel the energy around you. So if you can transform that into being conscious, asking quality questions and putting it out there in a really expansive way, that's really cool.
0: You've got to really... Uh Cute description that I liked a lot. I, I giggled to myself when I, when I read it. You said that problems, they, they appear as little gifts wrapped in strange, like kind of wrapping, right? Yeah. And, and problems, problems are just opportunities in disguise. Yes. Do you, how do you help people understand that? Because people, I know in my, in my business, in digital marketing, there's always issues. There's always some problem. There's always some, something that's not quite right. And people are forever like, ah, this is always a problem. But you know, you can't kind of just say to them, well, that's an opportunity in disguise. You know, I'm going to get kind of kicked in the, in the shin if I say that to somebody. So how do you help them to understand that you can see the other side of it and you can work through it and make it happen?
1: So the first thing I'll look at with a problem in that scenario is I will ask the person, is it a quality problem? Okay, mm-hmm. because we do have a lot of quality problems that we just consider to be a problem, okay? Is it a quality problem? Has somebody else solved this problem before you? Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we all love this thing in, in legal terms of like, you know, precedence. Has somebody else solved this problem before you? And, you know, this is where mentorship becomes really important. How could you look to see how somebody else has solved the problem How do you want to feel instead? Because feeling is such a big part of problems. A lot of problems we take on an emotional thing where we might feel victimised or we might feel embarrassed or we might feel marginalised or there's so many feelings that come up around a problem or we just might feel fear, you know, or unsafe. So how do you want to feel instead? Okay, let's go into having the feeling first And then we expand ourselves into the problem-solving second. So I, in that entire scenario, have not even talked about the problem. (laughs) I'm just pointing that out in case you didn't notice it. We don't need to talk about the problem because a problem is, sure, it's just another scenario that has come up to be resolved. Most problems actually take us to the next level of where we want to go. When you observe them first and then look at the creator, rather than getting into the drama of it, you actually find that you take the charge out of it, the emotional charge out of it. And when the emotional charge is out of it, you can actually resolve it. Mm.
0: You've got some great books on lateral thinking. You've got one, lateral thinking for the entrepreneur and lateral thinking in entrepreneurship. And what you've just described there is an exercise in lateral thinking. And can you get people to do that? Can people develop that habit? Is that a learnt thing? Or is that something that people have innately in them and other people don't?
1: I actually don't really know the answer to that. I think that thinking laterally is something that I learnt at a very young age, but it could also be something that is just an innate part of me. And what I do know is that I can show people how to think laterally and how to use different strategies at first to think laterally and then it will become something that is, a, is more a part of them. And so I think that it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think people have got to want to be open to letting go of the stories that are holding them in place and also to sort of understand different aspects of human behaviour in order to be able to think laterally. You know, one of the things that I find when people first start working with lateral thinking is that they need to own their own behaviour and they need to also appreciate the behaviours of other people. And so, you know, if you just simply look at reactive behaviour as a cry for help, you know, a lot with my clients, someone around them will be reacting to them or there will be a reactive behaviour and i go, hey, it's a cry for help. What's the cry for help? What do you think they need? Don't be afraid to go to that person and say, hey, reactive behaviour is a cry for help. How can I help you with that? You know, that's just thinking laterally. So you start to create these habits and these are the habits that I that I start to create with the clients that I work with and the people that I mentor. So they get to see things differently. A lot of people also project. So they will say, you are something that they are actually missing in themselves and Mm -hmm. so to be able to actually turn around and go "Mm, hey you know what I think that's a projection they don't have to repeat that back to the person who's speaking to them but they can at least own their own behaviors and then think around what's happening so they're not just looking at it from you know a straight line perspective is if you know if someone tells me that you know they think that I'm a you know a, a complete whatever something really negative that I actually have to own that you know where is that person not in touch with the fact that they're behaving in this very manner right now in front of me?
0: I was just going to say, I think business owners and entrepreneurs, particularly in the modern day, if you were going to start a business today, for instance, in a, in a really commoditized market, irrespective of what business you were going to go into, I think one of the skills that is essential is to be able to think laterally and to be able to think laterally on your feet quickly because we live in a really, really fast world and things happen quickly and things change quickly. And I think also because being in business and being an entrepreneur can be a little bit isolating. It can be quite lonely and often it can be difficult. For me, my experience has been that it's hard sometimes to share the issues that you've got going on in your business or in your personal life With your friends and your family because they're not in the same business as you. They might be in business, but they might not understand the same issues that you have. Particularly for me in a technology business as well, it's almost impossible to have a conversation with somebody unless they have the same sort of business as me, but then they don't want to talk to me because I'm a competitor. Um, so very isolating and I learned to think laterally and learned to develop those skills myself because of that isolation. Would you agree with that? Did you, did you experience that isolation in business early on as well?
1: Yeah, I definitely, I definitely can resonate with that. And I also have something to offer with it. So the first thing that I think is really important, particularly if you do feel isolated in business, is um, I like to have a, I call it a cup of tea. I, lo- I love having a cup of tea with different people. And so I will, you know, find somebody who I've connected with through LinkedIn or whatever who has an interesting business. And, you know, from time to time, and I don't always get that much time to do it, but I will go and have a cup of tea with somebody that I don't know. And and I like to do that because I find that, you know, we just learn. It's just nice. And you know what? I'm always having a cup of tea, so I may as well have it with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and we've got so many lovely coffee shops in Sydney, so we may as well go out and explore them. So that's one thing that I do. And the other thing that um, I also wanted to share is is that, you know, one thing I find in business is that we do think a lot in terms of competition, and I like to reframe that. I like to give it a slightly different angle because if you're in business where your real focus in business is to make an impact and to solve a problem, you actually realise that there's very little competition Mm -hmm. because most people go into business to make money. And this is where I think business is changing significantly at the moment is that when you change how you look at your business in terms of how can I make an impact and how can I solve a problem, you find that a lot of businesses that you think are competition are actually not competition at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that's a different way of looking at it. I love working with my clients on that scenario because um, it really expands them beyond what their business is. I mean, I had a scenario recently where um, a chiropractor just up the road from us, you know, poor guy, a young guy, he actually ended up having, you know, a heart attack or something close to a heart attack and he was off work for quite a while. And so what happened was in the first couple of weeks after he had had this episode and was in hospital and literally had to close down his little business, we started getting all these patients ringing us and they said that they were his patients. And I was like, Oh, this is really weird. So I got on the phone and I rang him and I said, why are all your patients calling us? These are your patients. Like why are they calling us? And he said, Oh, look, you know, I've got this scenario and haven't been well. And I'm, you know, in hospital and I can't work for the next eight weeks. I said, okay, if you want to, if they contact you, we're more than happy to look after them. Every time somebody comes in with their consent, obviously, because it's, you know, medical legal, I will let you know who they are. And I will, once you are back at work, I will put a sign up in my practice and I will tell all the patients that you are back at work and I will send them back to you and I will look after them while you are off work.
0: Mm, Help him out.
1: So we helped him out. You know, Mm. anybody else would have gone, oh, competitor, let's just grab his patients and look after his patients. But I was like, you know what? This Mm. guy is contributing to the health and wellbeing of our community. Mm -hmm. We do not have enough capacity to look after every single person in our community. We want more people in our community doing what we do. In fact, we would welcome them across the road because they're not competition. They're just creating more of what we need. Mm. And so by doing that, you know, we supported him in his business and we supported him in getting back on his feet. And it was a really lovely experience for us to have his people come through, for us to be able to update them on his health and well-being during that scenario and when he was well enough to send them back.
0: Yeah, it's great. And the reason
1: why we did that was because our philosophy is how do we make an impact and how do we solve a problem?
0: Mm. And I think part I'd add to that by saying as well, I also run a photography business and, and we engage a lot um, with our competitors and um, so we're always at trade shows together and expos and things like that. And, and I got a, a lot of other photography mates in that space. And some of the people that are really cagey about it all, they're really kind of protective. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to engage with you, see you as the, as the competition. And I think part of that is a bit of a scarcity mentality. They're worried that you're going to go in there and take their customers or steal their methodology or their things. But I really couldn't care less about their stuff. I'd rather just get to know them as a person and see how their business is going. Maybe I can help them or offer them a client or two if we can't, if, you know, if we've got a bit of an overflow or something like that. And I think scarcity mentality is goes a long way to understanding whether they're a competitor or they're not. And if there's plenty of business to go around, then I'm kind of more likely not to see them as a competitor and more likely to work with them.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is, is that there's a resonance about that as well. So mm. I'll never forget, you know, back in the early 90s, this guy contacted me once and he said, you know, I, I don't even know you. And he says, you refer so much business to us, but <laughs> I, I've, I've kind of like researched you and I've realized that I can't refer business back to you. Mm. And I just laughed. And he goes, what's so funny about that? And I said, I'm creating a resonance. Yeah, I refer good. out, yeah. before I give out, I get back a hundredfold." Yeah. And so, and the thing is, is that, you know, be really careful about what you give out because you do get it back a hundredfold. So the more times that I could connect people, refer them, give them assistance, help them out, I did. And I received it back from another source because it's a round circle. It's not a straight line. It's a round circle. And so that's another reason why I love catching up and meeting different people because I get most of my clients through referral. So, you know, I might have a conversation with somebody or I might meet somebody and, you know, speaking to somebody else and they go, you know what? You should really speak to Madeline. You really, you, you would love her and she can help you. and She can mentor you. She could do this. She could do that. And then these people will ring me and they'll say, Hey, XYZ said that we should meet and that you might be able to help me with my business. I'm like, absolutely. I would love to do that. And so half the time I don't even know who they are, mm. but because I am doing it, I'm also attracting it. So that's that, you know, I, I, I definitely think it's the scarcity mentality when people don't refer out but i think more so than that it's about creating and giving out what you actually want to receive because Mm -hmm. if you're giving scarcity you're going to get scarcity
0: totally totally and you know i I think in business as well it's not it's a good way to do business it's a good way to live in in a business but it's also a really nice way to live in life too right is to give oh absolutely fine person that comes back to you as well that's really nice well i just want to shift gears here a little bit madeline as we come to the end of the podcast I'm talking to the Madeleine I know right here and now. If I met you on the street 18 months ago, how would you have been different?
1: Wow, that's a terrific question. Um, How would I have been different 18 months ago? You know what? 18 months ago, I was actually struggling again um, with a bit of a health scenario. And I needed to be brave. I needed to undergo some treatment and have some more um, gynecological surgery. And I was really avoiding it at the time and I didn't realise how much it was holding me back because I was busy and I and I really was like, you know, I, I yeah, I'll face it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. So I felt like, you know, I feel like there's a bit of a continuum where, you know, we go through these processes where we want to get from A to B but we don't realise that there are certain other things that may not seem related that need to be dealt with first. And so 18 months ago, um, you know, I, I really would love to have been traveling more and on stage a bit more speaking at more conferences. My health was actually holding me back at that point And I didn't realize to the extent that that was actually affecting me. And so I went and had the surgery and basically, you know, how I felt changed enormously because it was, it was really necessary surgery. And as a consequence of that, I was able to move through all this stuff that that I thought was, you know, me just not working hard enough. So sometimes (laughs) when we think we're not working hard enough, there's actually something else at play that needs to be resolved first. And once you step into the courage to resolve that one thing first, whether it be health, relationship, business, doesn't matter what it is, Mm. all of a sudden it's like the floodgates open and everything else gets freed up. Very nice. So that would be the 18 month ago scenario.
0: So where are we going on the other end of that spectrum? What are you working on now and where are you going to end up in the next 18 months?
1: So I'm really expanding right now in terms of my business. You know, I love doing the mentoring work that I do. In the next 18 months, I want to, and I'm going to contribute more in a space of communicating with wider audiences, offer myself to be able to contribute more at more conferences and and speak to more people through that. I'm going to be offering more of my programs for people to just download and and listen to in their own private space for them to be able to understand a different way of thinking and to communicate more consciously. So what I'm going to be doing is being more accessible to more people and, and obviously still looking after my mentoring clients and more of them because I I need and would love to have more of those because they just are so bright in my life. And I love that. So, So that's really where I'm heading, giving more of myself to more people through creating more opportunities that are accessible all over the world.
0: Well, that's fantastic. We'd love to hear some more about that. Maybe we can revisit it in 12 months time and see where you're going halfway along. That's uh, that curve. It's exciting. Well, tell me, you're really busy with business. There's a lot going on with family and kids like everybody. What do you do on a daily basis to keep yourself sharp and focused and bring in your A game for your clients?
1: So first of all, I like to be productive as opposed to busy. Because I think busy is like we always go, oh, I'm so busy. So I think about being productive. I love to get up really early in the morning at about 5.30 and exercise every morning. I I get all of that out of the way before my kids even open their eyes. So that's a really important part of my life. And just creating the balance that I like to show my clients how to create in their business life, I like to live that myself because as a mentor, I don't ever expect anyone to attempt things that I haven't attempted myself. Mm-hmm. um and to really live in that space so i love to live with the congruency of that so that's really how my day plays out is to always exercise look after my health um look after my well-being create the time and space to be able to really be present with my clients and to be productive and then of course to be there for my for my beautiful children who also contribute enormously to my life they they really do help and contribute in the home and they get a lot of joy from doing that they get a lot of joy from giving as well
0: very nice. Well, that's beautifully, beautifully put and then wonderfully said. Thank you for that. And if people want to connect with you, where can we find out more about you?
1: Okay. So the best place to connect with me is uh, through my website, through madelinecohen.com and that's A-I-N-E. So it's M-A-D-E-L-A-I-N-E, cohen.com. And the best way to connect with me is to book in for a 30 minute chat with me. And um, I call it a discovery call, but you know, really we sit down and we have a virtual cuppa and have a bit of a chat and, and, you know, we can do that. Or the other thing that you can also do, uh, people can also do if they want to is they can just join my conscious communication weekly email. And so they receive every Monday morning, a new idea, a new concept, a new way to be more connected with consciously communicating. And that just pops into your inbox every Monday morning. It's free. It's just something that I love to do and to share. And a lot of people are very inspired by living their week through conscious communication when they get, their little Monday morning email from me. So that's another way or through my website and also through bookstores, but probably easier through my website. You can look up my books as well and then purchase my books through the website. So there's a few ways of connecting with me there.
0: Well, it sounds awesome. I'll make sure all of the links to communicate with you and your website are included in the show notes. Well, that just about wraps up the goal In podcast for today. And if you haven't already subscribed to the show, pop open your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button for us. And if you haven't already left us a review, if you could leave us one, that'd be great because that helps out a boatload as well. Well, that's all we got for you on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.